0: Hello, hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to Money Awakenings. This is your host, Larry Morrison, the financial shaman. Ah, the alchemist, all these kinds of fun names. DJ, Nighthawk. I was watching Step Brothers and uh so funny. Anyway. Hope you're having a great day today, morning, evening, afternoon, or what have you. <sighs> so, on this podcast, we break down all, well, eventually, I don't know if we'll ever get to all, because it's probably, I don't know, limiting beliefs are finite, I guess, we might eventually get to all of them, but I will never run out of inspiration, I'll tell you that much. So, um or ideas, because they are infinite. So, we break down the beliefs that block wealth and abundance. We break down the beliefs that block unconditional love and your personal power to create your reality and happiness and joy and bliss and ease and gratitude. Even stuff about relationships, because obviously you have a relationship with yourself. You have a relationship with other people. You have a relationship with your heart, which is what I mean by yourself, you have a relationship with your ego because you are the perception. You are the perception of your ego and your heart, right? You are the conscious awareness. And so these things control perception, which then then controls reality. But we break it all down to see what limits us and blocks us from experiencing Okay, technical glitch Alright, we're back And So what are we going to talk about today Or what are we going to start with today You know, I woke up and I started writing And it occurred to me Something very profound Came to me this morning Not that all of this isn't very profound But This one really hit home and struck a chord and what it is is the darkness reveals the light the darkness reveals the light in the same way untruth reveals the truth just like conditional love that we've all been gifted with since birth reveals unconditional love. Or said differently, conditional love will force you to look for unconditional love. It's, what's, it's, what, is, it's what everyone is seeking, consciously or unconsciously. Everyone wants unconditional love because that's what we are. It's what we come from. So this conditional love reveals unconditional love the same as the darkness reveals the light. Now, when the truth is revealed, when you come across truth that's revealed by untruth, The truth is not threatened by untruth. We've talked about this before in the right and wrong game. Truth is not threatened by untruth. If you want to um, believe that one plus one is eight, the truth, which is one plus one is two, doesn't care. It will just smile at you and say, go ahead. It will only cause you misery to believe that. But it doesn't, it's not threatened at all. The truth is not threatened by untruth. How could it be? It just stands firm and, like, and loving and saying, no, that's not correct, but go head on and enjoy that game. Enjoy the suffering that that will cause. And when you want to come home, come home to the truth. By contrast, this is what hit me so profoundly this morning. By contrast, however, untruth is threatened by the truth. Untruth is threatened by the truth. Because if you align with the truth, the untruth has to die. Let's say it a little differently. Conditional love is threatened by unconditional love. Because conditional love would have to die. It would be exposed. This is your ego. Your ego is conditional love. It is the social mask, the small story you take on when you believe that conditional love is the way of the reality. So it is threatened by unconditional love. Conditional love says you have to do something for love. You have to be more, grow, you have to, yeah, grow, we all are growing, but you have to be different, you're, you're not good enough, you have to chase this thing, you have to do this thing, otherwise you won't be loved. Unconditional love is like, you don't have to do anything. You're unconditionally loved no matter what at all times. That threatens, That threatens conditional love because it will lose control the puppet master will die. So if we know that untruth is threatened by the truth, we have to become aware of anything that is under threat. Because again, truth is not ever threatened. Unconditional love is never threatened. These things never need to be defended either. Why would they be? Again, one plus one is two. doesn't need to be defended, it just is. You don't have to defend truth. It just is truth. It's the rock, the foundation. Unconditional love is the way. It is the... the it is everything you will ever experience is unconditional love. That's what this entire universe on both sides of this game is made of. All of existence is unconditional love. So it is not threatened by conditional love at all. It just says, if you want to play that game, which is what we came to explore. If you want to play that game, go right ahead. It will only cause you misery and suffering and pain and heartache until you come home to the truth. So then we have to look at anything that is under threat is already suspect. Because it's most likely untrue. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say you love someone. You have a lover or someone, you know, maybe it's family or someone you hold dear and their family or friends are threatened by you. Why would that be? Why would that be? Why would their friends and family be threatened by you? Because something has to change in their life. their conditional love is going to be exposed by your unconditional love for this person. If, of course, you're bringing unconditional love to the relationship, right? If you're unconditionally loving, it threatens all the conditional love in the person's life. Be aware of any time anyone or anything is under threat. Because they are aligned with the ego and the lies. They are aligned with untruth and conditional love. Here's another example. Scarcity... To bring it back to money. I'm sure you're finally going, where's the money stuff? Scarcity is a lie. It is an illusion. And it is threatened by abundance. Which is the truth. Scarcity is threatened by abundance. And here's how that shows up. You can't just do whatever you want to do, whatever your heart says to do. You have to get a job because we're going to run out of money. Uh, No, I don't. I believe that abundance is the way of the universe. I believe that the more I let go of these limiting beliefs that say scarcity is real, more will always show up. There's always enough. To do whatever I want to do, there's always enough. That threatens people who have control over you. Scarcity. That threatens scarcity, right? Think about this. <clears throat> if you told your boss, My heart is saying to do this thing, so I got to do that, they would probably, tr- if you're not steeped in abundance and if you're not steeped in the truth, they would probably be really threatened by that. No, no, you can't just leave. What do you mean you're, you can't just leave? You have a job, you have bills to pay. Like, I pay you good money. Why would you want to leave? You hear that? That's threat. They're under threat. Right? Or if you had, like, this happened to me recently. If you had a long-time business relationship. And I was like, you know what? This doesn't align with me anymore. What? I've done so much for you. I've done all this, these things. You need to stay. You need to do what I want you to do. And there's the rub. There it is. Truth always reveals itself. People who are manipulating you are threatened by your power. By your ability to say, No, I'm going to listen to my heart. Why would listening to your heart threaten anyone? That was listening to theirs. It wouldn't. There's this great line. Uh, I think I used it on the last podcast too. Or a couple ones ago. That. Uh, you putting up boundaries. Is, you know, I'm getting close. I'll, I'll, I'm never never 100% on any of my quotes. So You can Google it. But you putting up boundaries only threatens those who were benefiting from you having none. Right? So scarcity is threatened by abundance. Here's another example, or or, let's expand on this idea. Back in the day, there's this old tale that anybody in finance or spiritual money will know. There's this old tale, or here, let, me, let me set the scene a little bit first. Um, and of course, we'll update it to today's stuff, because what I'm going to talk about is like the early 1900s. Let me set the scene. Um, so, I am obviously not the first person to tackle the relationship between your thinking and perceptions around money and how it changes your ability to receive it or work with it and work with abundance. So, um, but in my opinion, there's only one real person to talk about. Well, maybe two or three, but for thousands of years, money has been... Looked at as a gift from the gods, basically. Meaning that if you had a lot of it, you were blessed by God. This is, comes from stems from the belief that we've talked about before, which is uh, money is how God shows love. And so it made the rich people gods. The extremely wealthy were, or the, the private landowners, no matter what society you look at, from ancient Egypt to uh, ancient England to uh, Rome, all of it. If you had money in abundance, or gold or whatever, or land, you know, if you had it in abundance, you were revered as some kind of God. You were given, um, you know, your voice had more weight. Your vote in the democracy, if there was one, had more weight, right? The kings and queens were the richest landowners, right? And so, and, and the church became that too. Uh, they controlled so much of the wealth because they basically taxed. I mean, you, they call it tithing, but it's basically taxing uh, the people. So um, anyway, point being, the narrative around money hadn't changed for thousands of years. The belief systems kept getting handed down, which is why they must be all be questioned today. But a man came along in the early 1900s to try to change this narrative. His name was Napoleon Hill. And what Napoleon Hill did is he put forth the idea that um, thoughts are things. And the way you think about money will change your experience of it. Now, that might seem like no shit today... But back then, it was earth-shattering truth. You know? And the way he did this is what he he interviewed... He'd had this mission. One of the richest men in the world gave him uh, a mission to figure out... Uh, Andrew Carnegie was his name, the great steel magnate. He gave this man a mission to figure out what was the difference between the rich and the poor and why... His, If, you know, he's super wealthy, or rich, rather. I don't know his vibration. So, I can guess based on some of the things he's done, but uh, he was super rich, and he, he asked Napoleon Hill to go interview and talk to all the richest people in America at the time and figure out what was the difference figure out what were the common threads and figure out what was the theme. Now... Um what Napoleon Hill did was he wrote many, many books, but he wrote his first book. It was called The Law of Success in 16 Lessons, and it was one of the first books, eh, it was probably within the first 10 books I read, because his second book was much more uh, widely known. And so anyway, he put forth all of these ideas and concepts in a, in a lesson kind of guide as like, this is how you do things to shift your thinking, to shift your perception, to shift your vibration around money. And that way you would experience more of it, right? But um, the story goes, this is the tale. The story goes that when he put forth these ideas and wanted to get it published, the rich that he had interviewed, the like 500 richest men in the country or were in the world pretty much, freaked out. They got scared. They were threatened. And they told Hill to dilute the message, to not give away the secrets, because they were afraid that if the masses knew everything that they knew, that they couldn't get people to do what they wanted them to do. Basically, be in their factories and run, you know, America. So, he was forced to dilute his message, from not just from the rich, but also from his publishers who said it was too esoteric for the time. It was the early 1900s, for God's sake, it was like 1930. It was right near or around the Great Depression. Um, so, you know, he was forced to dilute the message. And then he wrote Think and Grow Rich, which was a much more watered-down version But Think and Grow Rich was the book that changed everything because even though he diluted the hell out of it and he put it all in parables so it's very hard to like understand what he was pointing to unless you're me (laughs) or you've really dove into this. Um, But bottom line is he put forth the idea that thoughts are things and the way you think about money changes the way you you perceive it and experience it the most easiest understanding of this would be to look at a bodybuilder versus a um you know obese person obviously the obese person and the bodybuilder have a lot of different thoughts and thinking and belief systems around food around exercise and around keeping the body healthy right priority of it so that's like obvious to most of us, yeah, no shit, a obese person thinks a lot differently than an athlete about about food. But back then it was it was crazy earth-shattering truth, right? So um, why do I bring that up? Because of the threat, the rich and the wealthy, Well, not the wealthy, because if you don't know, I define rich as people with an abundance of money who are in scarcity vibration and wealthy who people who have an abundance of money who are in abundance vibration. And so let's just say the affluent, which encompasses both of those things, or basically the rich at the time freaked out and got scared and were under threat of information being leaked out. Now, let's apply that to today's world. Let's update this. When you look at things like the oil and gas industry being under threat by the electric car and doing all kinds of things to suppress the technology that so many companies, including Toyota and the Prius and Elon Musk, have had to break through, what is under threat? Lies. The truth is not threatened by untruth, but untruth is threatened by the truth here's the truth first of all oil and gas isn't scarce they just say it is to keep control of the pricing secondly it is obviously not where we're headed in evolution it doesn't like let's just look at for a second let's just look at space travel okay I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but just stay with me. Space travel, sending a giant rocket with tons of fuel to jettison out of gravity is not something that makes sense long-term. Right? Like, obviously, that can only do so much. We'd have to evolve, if we were going to have any chance at space travel, beyond fossil fuels and combustion to do things. And this is where, coming back to the electric car, we have to evolve beyond these things because we see the inherent restraints. But that threatens people who are not aligned with evolution. What is not aligned with evolution? The ego. The ego is anti-evolution. It wants everything to stay exactly the same. Did you know, back in the 20s, there was a guy who was in control, he was put in charge of the patent office. The patent office of the United States is the place where you go to bring all new ideas, to get them patented, right? And this man, you can look this up, I actually don't know if it was the 20s, but it was in the early 1900s. This man said that we should save money by disbanding the patent office because everything that had been invented had already been invented. And this was the way it was going to stay. Wow. Wow. Talk about an ego controlling a perception. Like No one ever argues with me. When people argue to keep scarcity alive, which, again, remember, if you're arguing that scarcity is real, you're defending something. If you're defending a belief system, you're not aligned with the truth. The truth does not need to be defended. The truth will stay curious as to how you got to the lie that you're at. The truth will always be unconditionally loving and say, okay, sweetheart, go ahead. How is that working out for you? How's that believing in scarcity doing for your life? How is believing conditional love and jumping through all these hoops in order to get love, how's that working out for you? How's the shame that comes along with self-judgment? How's that doing? Right? So if you're defending scarcity to me, I always go, okay. The truth doesn't need to be defended. And evolution is the way of the universe. If you're not aligned with evolution, you're not growing, let's just say, to make it easy. But with scarcity, what's super fascinating is, people defend scarcity. Like, they defend it. Even though it feels terrible, even though your emotional guidance system is saying this is a lie, because remember all negative emotion is your heart and soul's way of pointing you to false beliefs. So when you feel, you know, afraid or trapped or worried or scared, or that this is a hostile universe that's trying to kill you and torture you somehow, you're aligned with lies and your emotions are telling you that but I have to do what everybody else wants me to do Harry. I can't just follow my heart how does that feel and why would everyone else in your life be threatened by you following your heart why would they want to defend their position that they know better than you do Because they're aligned with the ego that's always under threat. Conditional love is always under threat, even if it's not from unconditional love. It's always under threat because unconditional love is the way of things. It is the fabric of reality. That is why the ego and conditional love is always under threat, because it's an illusion. It's like being in a virtual reality game would be constantly threatened by you seeing the seams in existence, right? Like the end of whatever limitation would be threatened by you seeing abundance. And that's only the way the universe works. It's everywhere. Abundance is literally everywhere. Look up into the stars. Galaxies forever. Trees. There's trees with millions and billions of trees with billions of leaves and trillions of trees, probably. Of leaves, I mean. Waves, oceans, water. It's abundance everywhere. So the lie of scarcity is always under threat and always needing to defend itself. Same with conditional love. Conditional love is constantly under threat. The ego is constantly under threat because all it takes is a couple of hours of meditation a day to go, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, something's not right here. Why is my ego constantly under threat, constantly hustling, constantly needing to do more and more and more, blah, 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 blah. constantly talking? The ego is constantly talking. What would be under threat of silence? Someone who's trying to control your perception. I have a very dear friend who got out of an abusive relationship and... One of the things she told me was that her ex needed her attention literally constantly, like sent 30 texts a day when when they were apart for the eight hours of work that they were apart, eight or nine hours with commute or whatever. He sent 30 texts a day, and in between those texts, it was 30 calls. He was constantly needing her attention. That's brainwashing. What is under threat of silence? Someone that doesn't want to see you to see the truth. That there is nothing under threat. That only the ego is under threat. That only conditional love is under threat by silence. Silence, stillness, inner peace, if you want to call it that. Is just alignment with your heart. And the quietness that's in there. Do you notice that nature is always quiet? Unless it's uh, bringing your attention to something that needs your attention. Like a word of warning. Like a babbling brook is babbling. Because it's like, hey, pay attention if you're going to stay around this thing. Because you could slip and fall. You get swept away by the current. Whatever. Right? Same with ocean waves. Same with wildfires. Nature only is loud when it's warning you to pay attention. Other than that, it's completely silent. There's animals and birds chirping and stuff like that, but for the most part, it's completely quiet. What would be under threat by being silent, being still, meditating the ego conditional love would be under threat what would be under threat by giving someone space the ego that needs constant attention the conditional love that needs its conditions met all of the time so let's look at money on a global scale what would be under threat by giving all homeless people homes, even if they were just like small apartment condos, what would be under threat? What would be under threat would be the fact that you have to work your ass off for that. That's what would be under threat. The people in charge would lose power if you didn't think you had to work your ass off for your basic needs being met. Right, And I don't like to say they. I don't like conspiracy theories. It's just obvious that just like back in Napoleon Hill's time, there are people who, let's just say, benefit from you believing in scarcity. No one would go do a shitty menial job if they knew that they could do whatever they wanted and Source would always provide for them. Scarcity is always under threat and always needing to defend itself. No, Larry, no, but I have to do this. Otherwise my kids are going to starve. Are they? Is that true? If you want to play that game, go play that game. Have fun with that. I'll be fine. So will source, so will unconditional love and so will abundance. Go play that game. I can't just follow my heart, but my family will disown me. Good. Good riddance. So the alternative to following your heart, if your family truly disowns you from that, because they're threatened by... what? exactly? your power, basically and you exposing them as conditionally loving, saying you have to be a certain way for us to love you. Their conditional love is exposed, and of course the fact that they're not following their hearts is under threat by their ego. But what's the alternative? This is what I came across yesterday. I started to doubt myself yesterday, which happens, you know, it is what it is. I, of course, have a lot of tools, and I know exactly what it feels like, so it's like, oh, wait, something's off. Oh, I'm doubting myself. There's this great line from Anthony DeMello, one of my favorite spiritual teachers. What he says is, on the journey of spiritual mastery, and of course, don't my quotes are always off a little bit. <laughs> you have to unconditionally love my, my quoting, okay? Accept it as it is. On the, on the journey of spiritual mastery, he says, you, everyone comes across the same question. Am I crazy or is everyone else crazy? And that, that question hit me again. I'm like, am I crazy? Am I the one that's losing my shit? Am I the one that needs to be committed? And I sat with it. And of course it didn't feel good at all, so immediately I was like, well, emotions are telling me no, that this is not aligned with the truth. And then, from within, from my heart, my heart said to me, okay, what's the alternative, Larry? You can either believe that you're God, and that everything is always working out for you, and that abundance is the way of the universe, and that you're unconditionally loved at all times, and that you're divinely held and guided, And that you don't have to ever do anything you don't want to do. And that your mission is to help people remember the truth of unconditional love. Remember the truth of abundance. Remember the truth of excitement, of joy, of listening to your heart. What's the alternative? What are you going to do besides that? Uh, I... Think the alternative is to think I'm crazy, and I don't even know what to do with that. It's like, well, if I started believing I'm crazy, what would I have to do? Well, a, I'd have to somehow be okay with all the shitty emotions that come along with it. But b, what am I going to do? Put myself? Commit myself? See a psychiatrist? We just talked the other a couple of things ago. Therapy is a joke. Not all therapy. I don't want to paint a broad stroke. Um, Not all therapists are bad or anything like that. It's just simply outdated. It's extremely outdated. The only thing therapy ever does is to make sure you don't commit suicide or aren't clinically depressed. Other than that, they couldn't give a shit less. They want you to go back to scarcity and working your ass off. (laughs) They're not telling you to follow your highest excitement and follow your heart and listen to your heart. At least I don't think so. Not the therapist I've come across. So what's the alternative to believing in abundance? To believing that the universe has you protected divinely at all times. The alternative is to believe in scarcity, which feels terrible, which makes you chase money and be trapped in a life that you don't like. That's the alternative. I can either believe in abundance, which feels amazing, challenging, and scary at first, for sure. You have to undo a lot of programming, right? There's a lot of limiting beliefs that go along with scarcity that have been programmed into you since birth. Money doesn't grow on trees, and it's the root of all evil, and you have to work hard for money, and you don't deserve it unless you've suffered enough. That's called earning. So you have to undo a lot of this shit, for sure. But the alternative to believing in abundance, that you're divinely held, which feels amazing, that you're completely unconditionally loved and guided, which feels amazing, the alternative is to believe in something that makes you feel terrible and makes you drink and drug yourself away. That's what I did. Scarcity was so painful. It drove me almost insane. I mean i I made a lot of decisions I'm not proud of from scarcity, nothing to hurt anyone or well, I did hurt myself a lot with alcoholism. you know, I just wanted to numb the pain for a little while, but it never does That's what's funny about alcohol. It makes you think you feel better, but it's only it's extremely temporary, especially with the hangover effects. It's not a very good drug, but anyway, I digress. My point is, what's the alternative to believing in abundance? What's the alternative to believing in unconditional love? The alternative is you have to believe in conditional love, which feels like shit. You have to chase love around. You have to become more, do more constantly. What's the mantra of the ego? More, better, different. We need more, better, different all of the time. Can't sit still, can't meditate, can't be in silence, urgency all the time. Scarcity all of the time. We need more, 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 more. What? That's the alternative, gang. That's what's under threat by abundance. And here's the thing. I always say it like this. My beliefs and what I'm telling you, my perceptions rather, are like a buffet. You can take it or leave it. But if any part of you feels under threat by what I'm saying, that is an invitation to take a look at why you would need to defend a position that was true. Why would you need to defend the truth? Why would the truth feel threatened? Because I guarantee there's a part of you in your heart that is not threatened at all, that is probably smiling at what I'm saying. There's a part of you that is freaking the fuck out. I can't just do what I want. I have to do what everybody else wants. They won't love me. I have to keep their conditional love. What? Okay, if you want to believe that, go right ahead. I always thought, not always, I thought recently, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately, what this world would be like if we all knew how to self-love. Because conditional love breeds codependency. It can't not. Because the conditions that must be met for love to flow are outside of you. I mean, yes, they're dominated by your ego and your ego does it too. So you could kind of say you're codependent on your ego a little bit or it's on you, but that's a rabbit hole we don't need to explore right now. My point is codependency is rampant in this society. We need other people to validate us. We need other people to love on us. And if we don't get that love, we freak out. We get heartbroken. I had to deal with heartbreak yesterday. It's been a long time. Someone I love dearly lashed out at me for no reason other than they're asleep and afraid and like a child throwing a tantrum. And it hurt, it hurt a lot. Because I've been nothing but kind and unconditionally loving to this person. Been nothing but sweet and generous, and it hurt. But that's mine to deal with. And so, I did a lot of meditating and went for a walk, journaled. And what came to me is they're allowed to hate me. Their hating me does not stop me from loving them. I do not condone the behavior. And that behavior needs to be rectified if we're going to have a relationship and put the spotlight on because I do not condone behavior born of fear. I do not, I do not condone behavior or decisions made of fear. But the person underneath that shit, I can still love even though they hate me. That's what unconditional means. And that's what God does for all of us. So many people wander around hating God for their lives, for their misery. And God just says, You can hate me all you want, sweetheart. I still love you. It's never going to change. Doesn't mean I condone the behavior. Because this mere reality will reflect back to you in no uncertain terms what you're believing about it. So if you believe this place is scarce, you're going to get scarcity. You're gonna, if you believe this is a hostile environment, you're going to get hostility. But it doesn't stop loving you. How could it? I expected my unconditional love to be returned to me. That's what broke my heart, the expectation that it would be. Especially when the time most necessary for it was needed. But it wasn't. And that's what caused the heartbreak, was the expectation that it would. But I had to realize that that was a condition too if my love stopped because they didn't love me back because they even hated me then that wasn't unconditional now the behavior drove us apart and we'll keep a boundary up yes the actions and the words said will keep a boundary up between us of course because i cannot condone the behavior someone crosses a boundary there must be a consequence, and the consequence is I will remove myself from this situation. But it doesn't mean my love should stop. It doesn't mean my love has to stop. Only conditional love would be under threat by me unconditionally loving. nothing is under threat nothing is under threat by you believing that you can find a way to unconditionally love everything and everyone in this universe except conditional love So what's under threat in your life right now? You know, my soulmate, she has this amazing line, I'll never forget it. Well, I'll always try to remind myself of it. Sometimes it does leave me. But the line is, you can't fuck up true love. There's nothing you can do or say that will screw it up. Because it's true love. So when I see these tragic romance stories, I'm like, that's not true love. You're putting a condition that certain things need to be met for you to love. True love says you can wander apart, but you'll always come together. That you could say things, do things. Out of fear, out of scarcity, that when all of that fear and scarcity and conditional love is put to rest, the heart will open and rejoin with its truth. I will never stop loving. Can't. You know, Buddha had this great line. When you want revenge, you dig two graves. One for yourself, obviously, is the where he was going. He didn't catch that. It's the same here. To stop loving someone. only hurts yourself yeah it may hurt them too don't get me wrong but it's cutting your nose to spite your face now it doesn't mean we don't have boundaries as we went over I think the past two ones podcasts. you must have boundaries so when people cross them you have to remove yourself from them because that says to the universe this is not okay it says to the person this is not okay your behavior is not okay There must be a consequence for boundary crossers, but the consequence can never be that you stop loving them. Because that is conditional love. That's not what you want. That is the lowest vibration. You can let them go out of your life with love. You can let them know that you do not condone the behavior, if you'd like. You can ask for space. You can put yourself away from the situation to get peace and clarity and silence and aloneness to connect to your heart. Not stop loving. You know, Gandhi said, "Man, this one's full of quotes today." Gandhi said, uh, and I love that. Gandhi said, you "Must love the sinner and hate the sin." That is such an interesting concept, even for me, because as children when we are indoctrinated into conditional love and we're conditioned, what happens is you have a very difficult time discerning the difference between the action and the one creating the action. What I mean is, like, let's say, I don't know, you break some kind of house rule and you, I don't know, as a child, what, touch the hot stove or something, you know, or interrupt, I don't know, I can't even remember my house rules at this moment, but, you know, you do something bad, oh, here we go, you get a, you fail, you get a bad grade on a test, it's very difficult for the child to discern that the action was bad, not the child is bad. You're a bad boy, you're a bad girl. Is what we're told because of the action. Right? You know, don't touch those parts of yourselves. Those parts down there, the nether regions, that's bad. It makes you a bad boy or a bad girl. So we have a very difficult time discerning The action from the person doing the action. Because that's how we're taught. If we were taught, this action is bad, you're amazing and loving and and awesome. But this action is not condoned. That's an entirely different way to think. Right? If we looked at it with people who have broken the law, or the homeless, or whatever. Like, they are loving beings of light, but their actions we do not condone as a society. And therefore, we must put boundaries in place to, to tell people we do not condone these actions. And if you go against these actions, we have to separate you from society. That's a boundary. Right? Which is why I always say... You can do whatever you want in this life. Whatever you want, whatever your heart desires. You just can't cross people's boundaries or society's boundaries. And what's fascinating about this is that the heart will never tell you to cross someone's boundaries. Why would it? You can have whatever you want all by yourself. There's nothing but abundance. There's always enough. So you can do whatever you want with this life. You just can't cross someone's boundaries. And the heart will never tell you to do that. The things that cause people to cross boundaries are fear and scarcity and worry and attachment. I'm attached to this thing being my way and to be hell with anybody else. I'm doing it this way. Get the fuck out of the way. That's attachment. An attachment to an idea, to an outcome, to a belief is under threat by unconditional love and collaboration. Attachment is threatened by presence, being here now, letting go of the way you think things should go. Attachment is threatened by letting go, which is the way of things. You do not know what's coming. The future is a fantasy. Do not attach to it. Do not believe you know how life should be. To believe you, to to think that you know how life should go, or how things should be, is to argue with reality, is to say to God, I know better than you, and I could run this universe and do a better fucking job. What arrogance attachment is. What arrogance should it be is, I'm going to do this way. Oh, really? What's that line? Man plans, God laughs. You do not know where you even are, let alone how life should go. You think you know. You you have no idea. Even me, I don't know what the fuck is going on half the time. That's why I listen to my heart. The more, the older I get, the less I know for sure. And this is what's so brilliant, the don't know mind. If you don't know, you stay curious. Stay curious. I don't know what's going to happen. but I know I'll be present for it when it does. I know I'll be here now because I'm here now. Present. I'm letting go of me needing to be right. I'm letting go of life needing to look a certain way for me to be happy. I'm even letting go of people needing to treat me well. Again, I have the boundaries, so someone crosses them, they're gone, but I don't need them to treat me well for me to love them. I love them from a distance if they cross a boundary. That's all. That's how you love yourself. You unconditionally accept that this is the way of things. You unconditionally accept yourself. Radically accept other people. And if they cross boundaries, you let them go. But if they don't, you still have to listen to your heart. Everything has to run through the filter of their heart, of your heart. And nothing is under threat that is true. The truth is never threatened by untruth. Only untruth is threatened by truth. Unconditional love is never threatened by anything. Especially not conditional love. Only conditional love is threatened by you following your heart. The only place unconditional love will ever be. No matter what, know that I unconditionally love you. I appreciate you listening. I hope you got something out of it. We are different leaves under the same rake, different toppings on the same pizza, different waves on the same ocean. My unconditional love to you, my friends, be well, good journey.